Judas Iscariot. He is perhaps the most notorious figure in all of Christendom. And if you were to read the story of Judas as found in Scripture and not give it much thought other than just what you read there, you could easily be led to think all sorts of terrible things about him. Maybe some things that are not even consistent with the overall biblical narrative. For example, things like, it's okay to hate Judas because it certainly seems everyone else hated Judas. Or Judas was lost from the day he was born without any chance of redemption. Or maybe if he didn't kill himself, it would have been okay to kill him. You might also think after reading it that he was a traitor from birth, or he was a pawn of Satan in the cosmic battle between good and evil. Maybe that he had no choice about his role in the betrayal of Christ, etc., etc., etc. Here's the thing. I'm not going to spend this morning going over all of the theologies and doctrines that have developed around Judas and his betrayal of Jesus. It is a fascinating topic, no doubt, and there is plenty for speculation and debate. I think that conversation is perfect with good friends, great wine, and maybe some food to talk about it with. But for our purposes this morning, I want to ask a different question. What if Judas's story doesn't have so much to do with the whys and hows of the betrayal of Christ, as much as it has to do with a man losing hope, losing faith, not trusting in the simplicity of the gospel message. Or, as we've talked about earlier this year, a person losing vision because they lost visibility. What if Judas's story, instead of being a story we read and find no personal connection to, what if it's really our story? What if Judas's story is our story? What could we learn from it then? So, this is Palm Sunday, and as many of you know that have been here for a while, sometimes on Palm Sunday we talk about Palm Sunday, <laughs> and then other times we talk about other things that happened during the Passion Week. This is one of those years that we're going to talk about another story from the Passion Week. Now that we have this chapel thought, what I really want to do Sunday is I want to have a service every day. Sunday, Monday, to, and cover the Passion Week completely. It'll probably just be me and Dave if I can get him here, but I'm going to do that one of these Sundays so that on Sunday we can stick to Palm Sunday. But anyway, until then, for our particular focus today, I want to use as a study guide one of my favorite songs from U2. This is a song Bono wrote as a commentary on the Judas' story. Now, here's the thing. Like all commentaries, it is not meant to be used as scripture. That's not what I'm trying to suggest this morning, so please don't go and tell people, oh, David used Bono like he, St. Paul. No, that's not what I'm doing at all. Okay, I'm using it as I use all commentaries. Commentaries are there to help us in our own particular pursuit of relationship to glean truth out of what we're reading in scripture in case, like Dave's discovering, we didn't know that Jesus turned Fish multiplied fish and loaves twice, not once. That's where commentaries come in handy. Or just reading the Bible, which is excellent. <laughs> and here's the thing, though. Why I love this particular commentary so much, beyond the fact that it's real poetry and beautiful music, which you'll, you'll see in a moment here, is because the first time I heard it, it resonated deeply with me. Deeply with me. And because it spoke so clearly of the gospel. 
And that was a gospel I really needed at that point in my life. And as I have gotten older and continue to study the gospel, it's a gospel I realize I need every day. I need always. See, ultimately, the story of Judas is about the gospel. St. Paul understood this very clearly. Now remember, St. Paul was the first writer in the New Testament. All the other writers wrote after St. Paul wrote his stuff. Okay? So, here is how Paul tells the Judas story. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and broke it, etc., etc., etc. There is no mention of Judas. There's no mention of all the supposed issues with Judas, his supposed greediness, his lack of concern for the poor, the satanic influences in his life, etc., etc. There's none of that when the first writer tells the story. It's just the fact that Jesus was betrayed. Because St. Paul knew the real issue is not who betrayed Jesus Christ, but the real issue is the crucifixion and the resurrection. These are the foundational truths of Christianity. I don't know why the later authors had to put name Judas and had to write so much about him, but we'll find that out someday. But Paul, I think, understood that the story of Judas is much bigger than the man Judas. It's our story. So, here's the opening stanza of the commentary by Bono and Judas. The lyrics imagine a monologue between Judas and Jesus sometime after the betrayal. Or maybe it's a monologue between us and Jesus. So the scene being remembered is the Last Supper, right? The low-lit room, the eating and drinking, everyone enjoying the feast, except Jesus, who was talking about the end of the world. And he was talking about the end of the world at the Last Supper. He was talking about the end of death as we know it. He was talking about the end of human lostness. He was talking about the end of human kingdoms and the beginning of life eternal, of redemption, of the kingdom of God. But while it is very easy for us to see that, this side of the resurrection, and from our vantage point, I imagine it was very different for the disciples on that night. Don't you? I'm sure it was probably a lot like this song implies. Everyone was having a good time. 
except Jesus, and wondering why Jesus was being so dark and somber. Think about this. Think about what was going on. The reality that the Messiah was going to die and usher in his kingdom through the redemption of the world, through individual people receiving grace and then becoming like Christ and living like Christ in the world, that was totally foreign to them. That's something we know now, this side of resurrection. They had not yet grasped this essential truth that to be God was to die by and for his creatures. They were still expecting a revolt, an overthrow of Rome, a freeing of Israel, a very real human kingdom where they were the leaders. They had just had a victory parade after all. We've studied that. There's a reason people got palms out. That's what you did with Roman conquerors. You threw palms at them. They were on the verge of being kings. I'm sure they were partying this night. And yet all Jesus can do is talk about his death. And more, talk about the idea of they needing to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Put yourself there. Not from our vantage point, from theirs. When you put yourself in their shoes, you know what is most surprising? It's not why Jesus betrayed him. It is that he was the only one who did. How many years had these guys followed him? Given their lives to him with great expectation of being kings. They even asked for that. John and James, when you come in your kingdom, give me the right throne, give me the left throne. And now it was becoming obvious their expectations were not going to be met in any fashion that they expected. So maybe Judas was just the most observant. Maybe he was the most keen. The one who started to get it first. Years before the rest of them started to get it. Maybe he's the one with the most common sense. And we all love common sense. So maybe he had the most common sense and he had been planning an exit strategy all along. Oh my gosh, if this goes bad, because you have to understand, like happens in certain countries still today, if you decide you're going to be the coup and you don't win the coup, you die. Maybe Judas is smart. Like, Man, he's, all he's got is these 12 guys. Where's his army? This isn't what David did when he wanted to overthrow Saul. David got an army together. So maybe Judas was smart and had an exit strategy, and then they get in this room, and Jesus starts talking about the end of the world. He's like, that's it. Exit strategy is going into play. I'm out. What about us? What do we have for expectations of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And at what point on the journey, when we realize our expectations are not going to be met, do we put our exit strategy into place? Now, most of us are much more subtle. We don't just leave. We stay in. We stay committed. Until his ways get too radically different than our expectations. So at what point, so no one raise your hand, it's just to ask ourselves, at what point is the comfort 
the safety, the control of our own lives threatened enough that we betray Jesus? At what point? Is it loving our spouse as Christ loved the church that pushes us over the edge? That gets our exit strategy into play? Maybe it's feeding the poor. Or maybe it's welcoming the refugee. Maybe it's helping others at our own cost. Or maybe, like for me, it's loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. I'm out at that point. When I think about how my, my prayers through the week, yeah, it's single digit percentage or zero percentage of time I spend praying for my enemies. Because I'm out there. I, I don't. I'm done. See, things become just too much. You ever notice the worst part of Christianity, the worst part of our religion, but the worst part of Christianity is then we start to make it okay? How many times have you read books or heard teachers say something that Jesus said to do, especially love our enemies, and that gets sort of told, well, that's not really what Jesus meant. What struck me this week as I was studying Judas? We all have the same price as Judas. It's just that 30 pieces of silver have different names. That's all. Then the commentary continues. Maybe not literal, though it could certainly be for some of us all about money. But more, the imagery there, I think, is about we grow so accustomed to our way. We embrace our way, and it becomes the normal way instead of the way of Jesus. And so Jesus suddenly becomes nothing but an innocent, foolish dream. Right? Paul warned us of this. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The warning is do not think the way of the cross is foolish. That's what Judas did. He thought he was the wise one. After all, think about it. He got 30 pieces of silver. Jesus' own innocence got him crucified. But when we ignore the way of the cross, the way of love, and mercy and grace and forgiveness. We're not ignoring pastors. We're not ignoring authors. We're not ignoring commentaries. We're just ignoring God. And we are betraying Christ with a kiss 
and exposing our own foolishness. No matter how common sense it seems to hate our enemies, it mustn't be common sense if Jesus said, don't do it. And I think this is why Jesus was acting like it was the end of the world. Like that beautiful song I played by Michael Card, A Kiss is for Love, for Friendship. And when we would claim to be his, when we would claim to be Christians, but think his way is foolish and we don't follow it, we break his heart. Not because he has this thing where, where he's like us and he's offended and none of that. We break his heart because we're going away from life. And for God, there is nothing worse or more horrible than having to watch his children walk away from love and life he offers. And I think that is the haunting beauty of allowing Judas to kiss him and of calling Judas friend. This was an epic attempt to change Judas's mind. In the garden, this is Jesus saying, Judas, it ain't over yet. Yes, you betrayed me, and your life's about to get really dark when you realize what you did, but it ain't over yet. I still love you. And that is where Judas's story becomes more personal and starts to speak deeply to us. With the question, what are we going to do now? See, we know how Judas' story ended. He lost all hope. He lost all faith. He lost all trust that the good news he had heard Jesus preach in person for years, he lost trust that it was good enough, true enough, even for him. He lost vision. And because he had already lost visibility, he lost his way completely. But we're not there yet. And we never have to get there. For listen, if there is one thing the cross means, that's what it means. It ain't over yet. If the darkest moment, moment sorry, if the darkest moment in the history of humanity, when we killed our Creator, was not enough for our Creator to stop loving us. And in fact, He used that exact moment to redeem us. Then we have no reason to ever give up hope, to lose faith, to lose trust. Ever. Bono explains it this way.
God will wait until the end of the world. First time I heard this song, I was in a place where I had, been, had done some pretty horrible things, things very few people know about. And it was maybe the lowest point of my life. I had certainly sold Christ for 30 pieces of silver often, but this, this was a profound betrayal at this point in my life where I was. And I was very close, not to literally hanging myself, but certainly to being convinced I had crossed the line. That there was no point of, re I, I had crossed the point of, of grace. There was no return to grace for what I had gotten myself into. And then I heard this song, the song came out, and no one else at that point was reaching through my darkness. Nothing I was reading, none of my friends were able to get through that, and, and mostly because no one knew what I had been involved in. But this song somehow got through. The Holy Spirit used this last verse to get through. And I still remember the first day I heard it. And it reminded me that if the gospel is real, then that's what it means. God will wait until the end of the world. There is no line I could ever cross where I couldn't return from. Except, of course, like Judas, my own choice to give up hope, to give up faith, to give up trust in a God who will wait with open arms and forgiving love until the end of the world. So, where are you at right now in your life? Maybe it's darkness that was not of your own doing, like pancreatic cancer. Maybe you are in the midst of a trial of massive proportion that you did not cause, you did not want, but it still has settled over your life. And it's so dark you can't help think that God no longer cares, that there's no hope, that there is no reason to carry on. Or maybe like Judas, maybe like myself years ago, it's because of your own actions. Maybe you've sold Christ for far less than 30 pieces of silver, maybe just for your own comfort or maybe something far more sinister. Well, regardless, there is good news. It ain't over yet. It ain't. It ain't over yet. You can still hope, you can still have faith, you can still trust that no matter what you have done or what you are going through, you do not need to find a tree and a rope. You just need to get on your knees. Because God is still loving you and he will never stop. That is what the cross means. He will wait until the end of the world for you. Thanks be to God.